Hey guys, before we start the podcast, I just want to say that this particular episode is very special because it is the start of season two. So the first season was 30 episodes long. This would be the 31st episode, which is now going to roll over to season two, episode one. So we are officially on season two of the Emetophobia podcast. All right, let's get into it. Hey guys, welcome to the Emetophobia podcast. Today on the podcast, I had Dara Lovitz. She is the author of Gag Reflections, Conquering a Fear of Vomit Through Exposure Therapy. She wrote this awesome book. It's a part memoir, part clinical story that she wrote with her um, doctor. His name was David Yusko. So you can go check her book out over on Amazon. There's also a link on my website as well, and there'll be a link down in the show notes to uh, get you to that book. You can find her over on Instagram at Dara Lovitz Books. So D A R A L O V I T Z B O O K S. Dara Lovitz Books. Um, really, really awesome conversation. We this uh, episode got into so much detail. We talked a lot about exposure therapy, a lot about her story, about what it's like to be a mother and a wife with emetophobia. Um, we just went into like everything I could possibly think of to ask her. So this is a very valuable episode. You will not want to miss this one. There is also a video of this up on YouTube right now. If you go to my YouTube at The Emetophobia Podcast, and you can watch the entire video of the Zoom call there. So let's get into the podcast. Thank you for listening. I also really quickly want to say I'm so sorry, Ava Bem, for botching your name and um, just completely botching that whole situation. If you want to find the uh, the girl who made my music, her Instagram is avabem.music, so A-Y-V-A-B-E-H-M dot music. You can find all of her music over there. She has a Spotify to check out. So again, so sorry I botched your name. Um, you did an amazing, amazing, amazing job making my opening song, so thank you so much. It's very nice to meet you. Uh, welcome to the Emetophobia podcast. Um, I think you're the first author that I've had on the podcast, so that's exciting. Oh, wow. That yes, is yes. exciting. Thanks for having me. I love your podcast. And I love your intro music. Who, who did that? Um, you know, I cannot tell you off the top of my head, but I can always send you a message later on and, and give you... Or it's... Uh, her name was like Ava Baum, I think. I could be botching that name, but... Um, yeah, she she came on the podcast before, and she's also makes music. So I was like, hey, if you want to help out the podcast and make something for the podcast, that'd be really cool. And so she made a little intro music for me. So that was really cool. That's yeah. great. I love it. It's so relaxing, and she has a great voice. And I know she killed it. I, I basically she's like, what tempo do you want it at, and what do you want it to say? And I was like, you can just say whatever you want. And I just needed it like this kind of tempo, and I sent her a song that was kind of similar to what I wanted, and it worked out. So it was awesome. Yeah, good job. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, Let's talk about this book because I'm actually going to purchase this book along with the Emetophobia um, handbook, I think it's called, off of Amazon. I would like to get both and do kind of a review on both of them. So let's just, let me get your personal take on your book and maybe just kind of your shameless plug, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, it's called Gag Reflections, Conquering a Fear of Vomit Through Exposure Therapy. And I wrote it with my exposure therapist, Dr. David Yusko. 
Um, and it's kind of like a memoir, but it's also informational. So it's about my um, experience growing up and living with emetophobia and then my experience doing exposure therapy and how it helped me go from being a suffering emetophobe to a recovering emetophobe. Um, so it shows my journey into recovery. And Dr. Yusko's contributions to the book, um, he has certain chapters. They're kind of guiding, they're guidance for therapists who might have patients who are emetophobic and they don't know what to do with them. Um, so it's sort of, it's like the science behind fears and exposure therapy and why it works. And um, awesome. so it's kind of like his two cents, the, it's the scientific perspective to what I was experiencing. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, so let's hear your emetophobia story. Like where did it start for you and uh, how did it develop over time and what happened? Yeah, I don't have, um, I know you have a traumatic story of right, the, right. the car ride. Uh, I don't have that kind of story. I've been emetophobic as long as I can remember. The earliest memories of someone throwing up, um, I just, I remember feeling very uneasy and trying to avoid that person for the rest of my life. Um, so I've always been emetophobic as long as I can remember. And I started to engage in a lot of avoidant behaviors. So um, I didn't want to go to sleepovers. I didn't want to go to amusement parks. Um, I'm describing childhood things. Then moving into high school and college, I didn't drink or do drugs. And I avoided like parties and stuff where people were drinking and doing drugs. I really didn't like travel. I was scared of people getting sick on the plane. And, yeah. And so that was pretty much my life. And then I'm, you know, I started avoiding pregnancy and discussions about pregnancy because I was scared that would lead, lead to morning sickness. Um, and then, and that's, that's when I started seeing a therapist because I realized I'm really like, who cares if I didn't go to fraternity parties in college, but not having a kid because of this fear seemed, and whereas I would want to have the kid otherwise. Um, seems like something that really needed to be fixed. So I ended up seeing a talk therapist, uh, like a regular therapist, and she had no experience with exposure therapy or with specific phobias. She helped me in a lot of ways, um, but she wasn't able to get me out of this this brain thing, this phobia. Um, and But she did recommend a book, which I very much recommend for people who are anxious like me, called, um, I think it was called Freedom from Fear by Howard Liebgold. Um, L-E-I-B-G-O-L-D. And in that book was a very important concept, which is avoidance is the disease and non-avoidance is the cure. So the more that you're avoiding the thing that's causing you fear, you're just making your fear stronger and you're making your anxiety stronger. Whereas if you confront it, the more that you confront it, the more you're showing, you're like training your brain that it's really not something to be scared of. Um, so with that concept in mind, I ended up, I did get pregnant. Um, and I had kids and then the moment that I decided I need exposure therapy was when my baby, she was a baby at the time, she threw up on me and I, and I fainted. I oh just, no. Yeah, I just passed, I mean, I handed her to my husband and then I just was on the ground out cold. Um, mm -hmm. And I thought like, what if, well, first of all, what if he wasn't there? Yeah. That would be dangerous. Um, but also I can't be the kind of mother who, like who passes out when her daughter needs her most. Um, so then I sought treatment. Um, I really didn't want to do exposure therapy. To me, the idea of exposing myself to this thing that I've been avoiding my whole life was just the last thing I wanted to do, but I was pretty desperate. And, um, and it was 15 sessions, so 15 weeks of exposure therapy and homework that I had to do during the week. And within 15 weeks, I was almost, almost totally over it. Um, 
and I knew that I was over it because around that time, my daughter, the other daughter <laughs> threw up and I was there for her and I didn't pass out. And I was like sympathetic to her and, um, and just a funny story. I remember my daughter threw up and then, um, and I cleaned it up and I hugged her and I changed her clothes and everything. And I texted my husband and I said, um, my daughter's name is Eden. I said, Eden threw up. And he texted back immediately. And most people would text back and say like, oh, is she okay? And he texted yeah. back immediately and he said, oh my God, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> he said he just envisioned me um, in the corner of the room in the fetal position on the floor, like, you know, freaking out that my daughter threw up. But in fact, I was fine. And I was like motherly towards her. And um, so that's when I realized that the exposure therapy really, really helped me. Yeah. If um, So I have people asking me all the time, they, they, they message me and they say like, you know, what can I do? What is some advice you could give me? So um, as far as exposure therapy goes, what would you tell somebody who wants to go into exposure therapy, who's a little bit nervous about it and doesn't know what to do there? Yeah, well, the, the point of exposure therapy, at least the one that I did, wasn't to scare the shit out of you and to make you like want to die. It, yeah. it really goes slowly. Um, it's similar to the videos you described that you did. Um, mm -hmm. And I chose my own, you choose your own path. Like I chose which videos I wanted to watch, but the idea again, isn't to scare you to death. It's to show you that you can become desensitized to it. So for me, it was like 20 minutes a day of watching videos on YouTube and you just sort of, it's uncomfortable at first, but you, um, the way you do it, at least with a therapist is that you write down your level of fear with each video that you watch. And, you watch it over and over again until you just don't feel fearful of that video anymore and you work your way up so you work your way up to harder exposures harder things but they're not hard you know they're hard when you think about them in the beginning but once you're at week five you've already done weeks one through four and you're totally fine with it so i mean if you had told me in the beginning that i would have to watch a video of somebody in real life vomiting because he drank too much milk or sprite or whatever dumbass challenges on youtube these days sure sure like, i would have left the room there's no way i would have been okay with that but in fact I did ultimately get to that point, like around week 12 or week 13, I was watching videos of real life people vomiting. Um, and it's not fun, but mm -hmm. I was able to do it without panicking and without having my heart race and feeling disgusted. Um, because I had worked through, I had worked my way up starting with videos of like South Park or Family Guide, like cartoon images of vomit um, was, was sort of my low level. And still, mm -hmm. some of those videos are very realistic and they have real sounds and so, even some of those would cause me to feel anxious. Um, yeah. So something I did sometimes was I would start the video and watch it without volume at first until that became totally, until I became neutral, like until I didn't care. I watched it over and over again without volume until it had no impact on me whatsoever. And then I watch it with the volume. And then I, again, watching it over and over again until I feel nothing. And then I move on to the next video. And it's, I mean, it's, it's true in other areas of your life. It's just hard to envision it. But think about jumping into a freezing cold pool. It's really cold at first, but you swim around a little bit and it becomes kind of warm. You know, it's not yeah. cold anymore. Um, same thing with these videos. You can become desensitized to anything if you're exposed to it enough. So you just have to, I think my biggest advice is just put in the time and don't get discouraged. There were definitely times throughout my exposures where I would start a new video and for whatever reason it, I, you know, maybe I didn't sleep well the night before I wasn't coping, but this particular video made me have like, you know, my heart was racing or I felt a little nauseous or something and I would want to quit and just stop right there. Um, 
and sometimes I did quit and I would talk to my therapist and say like, I didn't do any more of the homework this week because it was just too hard for me. And he would sort of encourage me. And I, I don't know if other people are like this, but I'm kind of a black and white thinker. I feel like if I couldn't do the exposure that day, for me, it's like a total failure. Like, well, this isn't working. I'm done. This is awful and I suck. And, and so I just quit, you know? Um, and he encouraged me to think of it in terms of, um, like your progress isn't going to be a straight line up. It's not a perfect line going towards the top. You're going to have dips and valleys along the way. You'll have a couple of setbacks, but ultimately you are going towards improvement. Um, so you just sort of have to be forgiving to yourself and loving to yourself and accepting of some days are not going to be good days, but that doesn't mean that it's not working. And that doesn't mean that you should quit. It just means like, give yourself a break that day, but get back to it the next day. Um, yeah. and that's a great lesson for life in general, you know, when things aren't going your way, it's like, there's always tomorrow. Yeah. Super duper good advice. I really appreciate that. I in the same way where I went through the, the small exposure therapy I did. I just did it on YouTube videos though, kind of myself. And, um, I, it was like unreal how fast it became normalized to me. And then it almost became funny after a while. I made it like into a funny thing in my brain instead of a negative thing. Um, but what's going through your head during the uh, exposure therapy sessions you were going through? Like what's, what are you thinking about when you're watching these videos? Um, well, you said something really important. I don't want to, I don't want to forget that. Um, but what's going through my head, I am usually just trying to get through it. I'm also looking at the clock because I know that I have mm -hmm. to do it for 20 minutes. So there's a lot of like clock watching because it's not enjoyable. Um, yeah. but I am, but I know I knew the whole time that I was doing it for a reason. Um, so I kept my goal in mind, which was to just not have this role in my life anymore. Um, wait, I want to, I want to get back to that, but you had said something like it's, Oh, the messaging. So in your brain, you're saying this is kind of funny. Like this is, mm -hmm. if I just look at it and say to myself, this is funny, it changes the, the meaning for you. And that's yeah. so important because, um, oftentimes it's not the thing it's our reaction to the thing. So mm -hmm. it's not usually the vomit itself. It's like all the messaging that's in our brains, the, all the fucked up things that we say to ourselves about it, like, Oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. This is the end of the world. I'm going to die. I can't handle it all that messaging is what really messes us up and makes us uneasy. Yeah. But the thing itself really isn't. It's, it's the message our brain says. So for instance, um, I, when I was pregnant, I did, I did get sick once. And I remember at the time I thought, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing in the world. And I didn't feel, I thought, well, wait, how can exposure therapy work? I just threw up and I don't feel any better about it. And the reason is because at the time I threw up, I didn't have the right messaging in my brain. What I was saying to myself was, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever, ever. This is why I hate vomit. This is why I never want to vomit. This is why I didn't want to get pregnant. It was all the chatter in my head. Whereas if I had been doing exposure therapy at the time, I would have said to myself, awesome. See that? It wasn't so bad. This isn't mm -hmm. something to fear. You know, and I really could have changed my attitude if I had just had a different messaging, you know, wired into my brain. So your, your approach that it's what you tell yourself about it and the messaging is so important. Um, yeah. but anyway, so for me, my whole life, I had been ruled by vomit. Like I am obsessed with it. Um, I kind of, like you said, like you're always looking and you're always on high alert watching other people. Um, mm -hmm. and that's why I didn't go to bars by the way, because to me it was way too stimulating to see all these people who were like either going to be sick that night <laughs> or possibly going to be sick oh, in yeah. the bar. Like I, I couldn't handle it. I didn't even like going into the city on the streets at night because people would be walking back from the bars. And if they weren't walking a straight line, I'd get panicky. Like, oh, he's going to puke. Getting, you know, he's going to puke and I don't want to be there. So um, it's something that it was before exposure therapy. It was, it was probably on my mind most of the day. Um, 
it's just always on my mind, basically. And it's that kind of obsessive nature of the phobia is just ruining my life, you know, and it it takes away from the quality of life. Like I can never really enjoy myself, especially when I travel um, or I get in the car to go somewhere or I have a presentation to give. It's always in the back of my mind and it kind of taints any experience I have. Um, so I really wanted this therapy to help me. And often when I was in, now I'm circling back, when, when I was in the therapy, something that I would tell myself is, I'm doing this so that vomit doesn't control my life anymore and so that mm -hmm. I can enjoy my life. So yes, this sucks. The video watching sucks. I hate what I'm watching. Also, I know that it's getting me better and really 20 minutes a day, like you could futz around on Facebook for, or Instagram for way more than that, you know, yeah. this activity of screen watching is doing something for your betterment. Yeah, a little bit of time for a long, long time of uh, reassurance for yourself, for sure. Yeah, the, the reassurance is the big one. I'm trying to teach people how to get over their trigger words a little bit better. I made a video today about that where um, writing down the trigger word and then after you write it down so many times, reassure yourself that everything's okay. I'm still going to have a good day. These words do not control me anymore and then move on and then do it again the next day. And that's how I got over my trigger words because for a long time, I couldn't even say the word vomit. Like it was scary to even say the word. It would make me nauseous. But nowadays it's just so normal. It's like just another word. It just continues on with my life and everything's okay. So um, another thing I get a question about a lot is I get people messaging me saying, um, you know, I'm really, really nauseous right now. It's been real. My emetophobia has really been bothering me lately. Um, what do I do? And I just have to ask, what would you say to somebody that came to you and asked you those questions? Mm -hmm. Well, that's oftentimes nausea is not related to a stomach bug or food poisoning. It's anxiety. Um, mm. Before my therapy, I will say that I felt um, scared that I was going to be sick or I felt sick to my stomach way more often. Uh, and it was really related to anxiety. It was related to anxiety about someone else being sick or maybe I ate something and I noticed after I ate it that it was looked a little funky or it didn't really taste great. And then I think, oh, I just, I ate something that's going to make me sick. And most of the time I wasn't sick for a physical reason. I was sick because of my brain um, yeah. and because of anxiety. So a lot of times I would, I guess I would respond to someone and I would sort of get them to think back. Is it anxiety causing the nausea or did you drink too much last night? Or was it, is there a physical reason for it? Because more times than not, when I look at these emetophobia groups, these support groups, people are anxious and they say, oh my gosh, I feel in star. Yeah. <laughs> no, mm -hmm. They don't even spell out the word. Yeah, um, yeah. So they'll say that. And I feel like most of the time it's just anxiety. Um, and I think that's really important. I think meditation is important to help you realize when you're feeling something physically, is it because of some kind of mind um, messaging? Is it because of your mind or physically are you ill? Most of the time with emetophobes, they're not physically ill. They're just anxious and they're making mm -hmm. themselves feel nauseous because of their brain. So meditation helps with that. It helps you sort of remove yourself from your feelings and your thoughts. And like, it helps you look at yourself from afar. Meditation has very much helped me deal with those anxious thoughts. Um, so I do recommend some kind of, and meditation doesn't have to be like, I could never clear my head. My head is way too busy and yeah. so I could never do that kind of meditation, but there's, there's like something called focused attention meditation where you could just focus on your five senses one at a time, just sort of it's, it's brain work. You're just training your brain. And I only do it for five minutes a day. Again, that's not a big investment. Um, but over time it helps you realize what is this thought? What is it doing to me? How do I feel physically, you know, because of the thought? Um, so I don't know, I guess it would depend if somebody said to me, I, oh my gosh, I feel nauseous. I don't know what to do. I probably would direct them to, you know, 
to their mind, to their hearts? How are they feeling emotionally? And is that what's causing you panic? Um, I know you've mentioned breathing exercises, and I think that's a great idea to calm yourself down. I know mm -hmm. one of your listeners mentioned like she, she does something physical, like running around the driveway in a circle or something. Um, yeah. And I haven't tried either of those, but I'm definitely curious to maybe just do five push-ups or something if I'm feeling physically anxious, somewhere to put the adrenaline and the energy. It sounds like, yeah. you know, a good that's move. a big one. I, I used to play drums. Uh, when I lived at my old place, I had a drum set and it was like my biggest, I was, it was a little hobby I had, but um, there was one time where I used to smoke tobacco and we had a hookah in the house and my friend put weed in it and didn't tell me about it. So I got high and I wasn't expecting it, which when I get high and like back in the day when my metaphobia was on the, the fritz, you know, the uh, smoking weed would make me to like a hundred percent, just like, Oh my God, I'm going to freak out and I'm going to die and everything's bad. So I remember just sitting there for like 30 straight minutes, just banging on those drums. And I was like, the louder this noise is and the more I can just get away from the situation, the better. But, and after I was done, I just kind of came back and I was like, I'm good. I'm fine. Like that was, I just needed some adrenaline. I needed that rush for a minute just to get over it. So um, speaking on some coping skills like meditation, what other coping skills have you picked up over the years to help you with your emetophobia just in certain situations? Um, well, since I'm in recovery mode, I'm just trying to maintain my recovery and I'm trying to, um, to not be the person I used to be. So I'm trying to not engage in avoided behaviors. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes I have to ask myself, WWND, what, what would a non-emetophobe do? And I try to do that. So, um, and sometimes I'll just ask, like I, some of my close friends know what I've been going through. And now that I've written the book, everyone knows what I've been going through. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I'll ask a question, like I'll ask my husband, for instance, like, what would you do in this circumstance? Because this is what I feel like I should do, but maybe a non-emetophobe would do something different. And I try to do what he does or think the way he does. For instance, um, let's say we were going to a family event and we just found out that a family member had the stomach bug that week. Well, I wouldn't want to hug the family member when I saw them because I wouldn't want to get the stomach bug. Um, but I would sort of look over or ask my husband, do you think you're going to hug this person? And he would say, yeah, of course. So then I do it. Um, so I engage in what I would I otherwise would have considered very risky behavior. Um, and I just try to act like a non-emetophobe because the more you act, the more your brain follows. And they say like, oh, my gosh, think of all the family members you hugged <laughs> who had stomach bugs and you didn't get mm -hmm. sick. Um, and it wasn't something to worry about. And guess what? If you do get sick, it'll be okay. So yeah. a lot of it is also reminding yourself that it's going to be okay. You know, if you get sick, you will be okay. You will survive. It's not dangerous. It's not, you won't die. Um, and it, yeah, it might be unpleasant and that's okay too. I think, um, telling myself that I'm braver than I think is helpful. Just reminding myself that I can handle it if it happens. And if somebody else gets sick, I can handle it. Anxiety um, and panic attacks, like they're temporary. They're not forever. You're not, you're not ever in a forever state of panic. Um, so there's a beginning and there's, and it peaks at some point and then it goes down. Um, so if you can survive, like, what is it? It could be 30 seconds of panic. It could be 10 minutes of panic, but it's usually not more than that. Um, and if you realize you can, you can survive that if that happens. So, you know, we have to just sort of face our fears and just go into it, um, knowing that it'll be okay. And then retraining our brain that none of this was as scary as we thought it was. Um, usually for emetophobes, the anticipation is worse than the thing um, and all the anxiety surrounding it. So we have to figure out a way to get our way, you know, to work our way through the anxiety and feel the discomfort and move past it. Um, yeah. You had mentioned in your podcast something like you count down from five. Mm -hmm. um, and five some, second rule, yeah. 
Yeah. So do you, do you mind just going through it? Yeah. Basically it's just, um, you just count like one, two, three, four, five. And it's kind of like, if you were going to go jump into a lake somewhere and you were afraid to do it, like, that's kind of what I would do is just one, two, three, four, five. And then you just have to do it. Just do it. Like it's, it's just that simple. Like I learned that from a businesswoman who was talking a lot about like her business um, ideas and where she would like be thinking about like, should I do this? Should I not do this? She's like mm, one, two, three, four, five. And then she just signed the thing or like click the button and she just do it. And she's like, that's what um, kind of trains your brain instead of thinking and overthinking everything all the time. Now you're just making decisions on the fly when you want to make them. So it's kind of a cool little thing. Yeah. I love that. And so my version of that, I, had, I hadn't heard that. And I like that better than my version, but my version before is, um, and I, I think about it a lot every day, really, when I'm in a hot shower and I don't want to get out of the hot shower and do the rest of my day, but I have to get out of the hot shower. I say to myself the three words and I, I'm not endorsed by this sneaker company, but I say, just do it. Yeah. Um, and I just tell myself, just do it. You just have to do it. And for me, those three words are really simple. And I say, just do it. And then the water turns off and I walk out. Um, and it's, it's brain training. It's just, you know, creating this habit of saying, just do it or saying five, four, three, two, one, you have to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. Imagine yourself pushing yourself to the next thing. Mm -hmm. I, I have to say too, I've been taking cold showers lately. So I do my hot shower for like eight to 10 minutes. And then right at the end, I'll just kick it all the way down to as cold as possible. And I stand there for as long as I can. I'm then up to like almost two minutes now. And it, it just shocks your body. And it's like almost a reset. And I have never had more energy and more excitement when I get out of a cold shower like that. It's, it's so exhilarating, like more power than I've ever felt. Just like you feel powerful when you get out of something like that. And I've, I've been uh, learning a lot of the teachings of Wim Hof. He's a guy that climbed Mount Everest in nothing but his shorts. And he, he uses the power of his brain to um, make his body do what he wants it to do. He was in an ice bath and he was melting the ice because his body temperature was going up so high because he can just control that with his brain. And that's what made me realize that your brain is super powerful and you can really do whatever you want with it as long as you kind of break into those things. Um, I do want to touch... Uh, I did used to do it. I went to a summer camp when I was a kid and that was what we did every morning at like 6am. You'd have to run down and run off the dock and it was in Lake Michigan. So it was like already really cold. And now it's like double cold cause it's winter time. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm well-versed in being cold, but it, it's still like, that's what I mean is I have to do the five, four, three, two, one and just do it. Like I can't think about it at all or else I won't do it. So right, definitely right. helps. Um, I want to touch on being a parent and, uh, maybe a new mothers or, uh, uh, people with a metaphobia who want to get pregnant, what advice would you have for them on kind of getting over that hurdle of thinking about it so much about getting pregnant? Hmm. I mean, I did think about it a lot. I will say that I think more people don't get sick when they're pregnant than do. Like I had this conception from just watching TV and movies that if you get pregnant, you're going to get morning sickness. It just like, that's the way they show you in a movie that somebody's pregnant is like they get sick and then yeah. they look, you know, that's how they know. Um, so it just sort of was in my brain. But then the more people you talk to, the more you realize it's not not everybody gets sick. Um, I did feel woozy, like it's, you know, but there's ways to control. It's just really your blood sugar dropping. So there are physiological reasons for the nausea and it's either a hormone surge or your blood sugar drops quickly and there are ways to manage it. That said, <laughs> um, I think being a parent has probably been one of the most rewarding things I've done. And I feel really sad to think that I almost missed out on that opportunity because I was so scared to not, you know, to be, to not be sick. So, um, your metaphobia, you try not to let your metaphobia be stronger than your desire to live a fulfilling life. Um, if you think that you want to be a parent and you really would love to, and the only thing stopping you is your metaphobia, then it really, it's really important to the 
you know, to work on the emetophobia. And I think even if it's, if you can see an exposure therapist to help you through it, really, I mean, in 15 weeks, I was done. I mean, that's what, three months, three and a half months, and then you could be ready. So if you were, if you're willing to invest three months and some money, um, and it, you know, you just sort of, you might have to make cuts in other things that you pay for or buy. Cause it's not, I don't think therapy isn't cheap. And to see, right. you know, 15 sessions of therapy, which was not covered by my insurance for me, it was a worthwhile investment. I needed to change my life and mm -hmm. I would have paid five times what I paid honestly to have the results that I had. Um, so I do recommend that if you, if you're thinking about becoming a parent and you want to, and the only thing holding you back is your metaphobia, get, get professional help. Do, do the work and in a short amount of time, you could be ready to engage in that next step, you know, of your life. I mean, for me, it wasn't just the scare. I wasn't just scared of um, pregnancy nausea, but I was scared of having kids who puke and then, you know, going to birthday parties, kids' birthday parties where other kids are puking. And it's just like once you have kids, there's this whole new world of vomit that you had so successfully avoided your whole life and now you're in it. Um, so I'm really glad that I'm able to just do this life as a parent and be a parent to my, be like a kind motherly person to my kids when they're sick, um, as opposed yeah. to just completely absent. You know, I've been, I heard a couple of things the other day about how, um, there's some mothers who have a metaphobia and their kids now are getting a metaphobia as well. And they were talking about the, maybe the cause of that was, um, because they are so scared of their kids throwing up and the reactions they have to their kids when they get sick. What do you feel about that? Do you think that that could be one of the reasons why these kids are getting emetophobia so early on and it's becoming such a prevalent thing in their life? I've heard that. I mean, it's not my reason. My mother was not emetophobic, um, but I've heard that. And I do feel like the energy that you're putting out into the world very much affects your children. Um, so even if you're not scared of vomit particularly, but you're a panicky, anxious person and you're always worried about something, your kids are going to pick up on that and they're likely going to adopt that fear of the world and fear of mm -hmm. things that could harm them. So yeah, I do, I get it. Um, if I had a met, an emetophobic parent, I would think it would make me more likely to be emetophobic. Also, there is a genetic predisposition to phobias um, and to anxiety. It is, there is a genetic uh, link. So in, in other words, you're more likely to have an anxiety or phobias if you have a parent who was also anxious or had phobias. So for that reason, I think it's, you know, highly possible. Something that I, I was so curious, um, before I saw the exposure therapist, when I was seeing the other therapist, just the talk therapist, I wanted to talk with her about like where this came from. Um, because I thought that if I understood what caused me to be emetophobic, I could just reverse it, you know, whatever, yeah, yeah. whatever five steps I took to become a metaphobic, I'll just do those backwards and I'll become not a metaphobic. And, um, we couldn't really figure it out. And when I was treating with this exposure therapist, Dr. Yusko, I said to him, like, can we ever have a session where we just go over my childhood and talk about, so we can figure out where this came from. And his position was really different. It was like, we're probably never going to know where it came from. Some people are born with phobias why you have a vomit phobia and my other patient has a dog phobia, no idea, we'll never know. But what matters is what you're doing with it now. So, um, so I stopped trying to trace it and figure out the origin because the truth is whatever it is I've had my whole life, there may not be a good reason for it, a good scientific reason. I do know that I have a, a parent who is anxious and on that side of the family, there's a lot of mental health issues. So I'm sure that there's a genetic reason, but why vomit? Why am I not scared of spiders or 
I don't like spiders, by the way, but <laughs> why am I not scared like to death of these other things? Um, and there's really, oftentimes there's nothing, there's no good reason. Um, there's no logical reason. It's just, some of us are just born this way and it's a weird thing that happened. And, um, but some people have truly had a traumatic experience or some people had a parent who was, who just passed on this panic about vomit. So I think there are a lot of us and we're all this way for different reasons. What matters more, I think, is what you're going to do about it now than why yeah. you became this way. I definitely think I've been, um, so like you said, I had that moment where I was with my friend, he got food poisoning and I, I thought that's where my emetophobia stemmed from. But as I've been thinking a lot back further in my life, there's been a lot of moments where I've gotten sick and it's been very, very traumatic for me or the people around me uh, treated it as a very traumatic situation. So I can definitely see where it kind of stems from, I guess. But at the same time, it's just like, yeah, why? Why that one thing? Like, why can't I be afraid of anything else other than that? And it's like, I also have like kind of a phobia of water. I'm not, I'm not a big fan because when I was a kid, I fell off a boat and I almost drowned. And it's like, so since that's happened to me, I'm afraid of like seaweed and water and like anything that's just like, you can't see the bottom. I don't really like that kind of stuff. But again, it's not, not to the same level as emetophobia ever was. It's just kind of like, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it type thing. But it also doesn't have to do with my own body and my own like personal stuff, you know? So, um, regardless though, I wanted to talk to you about how did you find a counselor? Like, how did you find a counselor that kind of, um, helped you with these phobias and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, well, I just want to go back quickly to what you said okay. there. Like for me, um, I also had an almost drowning experience and that did not cause a fear of water for me. So, um, but something you mentioned about the vomit was like, when I have early memories of vomiting, like in first grade, for instance, everybody around me said, ooh, and it was, there was a mm -hmm. social situation. And a lot of my vomit phobia has to do with other people, like scaring other people. Um, so I thought, well, maybe that was the traumatic event that, that caused me to be an emetophobic. But like I said, I also had an almost drowning event and that didn't cause me to be fearful of water. I had a dog bite me once that yeah. didn't cause me to be scared of dogs. So it's like, um, there's still something, you know, we can point to certain past experiences and I don't know if we'll ever really know why this thing, why is vomit stronger for you than your fear of water? Cause you're jumping in cold lake water in. You know? right, yeah. So obviously that's so not, weird. it doesn't take hold of your life. Like your emetophobia does. Um, mm -hmm. How did I find a therapist? Um, at the time. So my daughter had thrown up on me and I knew I needed help. I also was becoming very um, like irritable and angry. And I was, just like barking at everybody in my house. And I was just being so mean. And um, I remember talking to a friend of mine that I think I needed anger management <laughs> help because I was just so, um, and she said, well, she has anxiety and her anxiety makes her irritable. And once she fixed her anxiety, she was no longer irritable. And then I thought, oh, I can feed two birds with one seed because like I am anxious about vomit and I'm mean and irritable. So maybe if I could fix them both by just attacking the vomit phobia. So I went to this therapist and I actually went, um, she, it was her therapist. So she recommended me to him. She said he was great. He helped her get over her anxiety. She did not have a phobia. She just had like anxiety about certain things with work or something. Um, but I met with him and I said, if you could make me less of an asshole and help me with my vomit phobia. And he said, um, you know, I don't specialize in anger management, but it's definitely true that anxiety can make you irritable um, because you're so, all of your energy is used on, being scared about this thing that may or may not happen that you don't have much left. You know, you don't have much left to cope with things that go wrong with someone spilling something or, um, or being late to something. I hate being late. So if, yeah. if the family's running late, like that's not going to 
you won't have so little energy to deal with that and to be nice about that because you're so worried about this other thing. So anyway, so he said, I can help you with your phobia and that will likely lead to less irritability. Um, and I was fine with that because again, I had passed out when my daughter threw up and that wasn't okay. So anyway, um, I did go through this exposure therapy. And in fact, it's true that once you reduce your anxiety, um, if you had <laughs> issues with anger management and, you know, losing it often, um, that really was reduced. I really became less irritable and nicer to be around um, and more able to cope when things don't go well or things don't go perfectly. I'm much ab more able to cope because I'm not spending all my energy worrying about this vomit thing. Um, I do notice that if somebody mentions, um, like if, if my kid comes home and says that someone got sick on the bus, I, I do feel slightly <laughs> on edge for a little bit um, and then I notice my behavior because again, meditation helps you notice what you're doing. So I notice, like, oh, I just snapped at my daughter. Why did I snap at her? Well, because the other one told me that this kid threw up on the bus. So it's, I'm able to connect all that and then I'm able to walk it back and say like, so what? So the kid got sick on the bus. That happens all the time. Not a big deal. Uh, let's not be an asshole to my family tonight. Yeah, um, no, I get, I, I get that a hundred percent. Cause I definitely do remember too, when, I, very, I like shut myself out from the world. I was stuck in my house for so long and I didn't talk to anybody and none of my friends wanted to be around me anymore. And I was almost like mad at myself. I was mad at everybody around me because I didn't want to help me and I didn't really need the help, but it was like, I just, I wanted somebody to be like, are you okay? And nobody ever cared. And I just remember the irritability I had every day towards my mom because she'd like, she was there for me and she wanted to help me if she could. And there's always, but she was also uh, didn't really understand what was going on in all, all respect. It was just like, oh, well, nobody likes to be sick, Casey. Like, just, you know, come on, let's go to the store. And I'm like, I, I, no, I just, I literally can't. Like, I, I can't get in the car and you don't understand that. And she just, no, come on. Like, we, we gotta go. There's no, like, you're not gonna stay here. You gotta come with me. And it's just things like that where I get irritable and I like lash out and I'd be like, no, like you don't fucking understand. Like, I'm not going with you. And I'd like start yelling at her and be mean. And I do that to my friends and to my girlfriends at the time. And so I definitely yeah, see where you you're coming feel, from. You already feel so bad and so defective because nobody around you has this thing that you have. So you already feel less than, right? Mm -hmm. And then somebody's telling, somebody that you love is telling you, it's not a big deal. You're overreacting. So you feel worse about yourself. You know, you, if, yep. if you could feel worse about yourself, you do because the person that's supposed to be supporting you is saying, this isn't a big deal. Get in the car. Um, so it almost makes it worse. Cause like, I think we're, I think emetophobes are really hard on ourselves. And I definitely was for the first three decades of my life when I didn't know any other emetophobes. I didn't even know there was a word for it. Um, mm -hmm. And again, this is the time before Instagram and your podcast and everything. So sure. I was really suffering alone and no one I knew had this. So I felt extremely defective and weird. Um, and then when, you know, when your mother dismisses, when my mother would dismiss me and say, what's the big deal? Why are you crying? Why are you get in the car, go, go into the amusement park? Like, you know, it's just, it makes you feel, you're already so low on yourself and it makes you feel so much worse. And if anything, you're doing so many amazing things with this podcast, but what I think it does also is help so many of us feel like we're not alone. We're not weird. We're not defective. Um, something's off in our brain, but we can fix it. And yeah. so, um, yeah, so I really appreciate what you're doing. And I feel bad that you went through that and that you, you know, you were in so much pain and distress over this and that unfortunately the people around you didn't get it. Yeah. And I really appreciate you uh, saying that about the podcast. It's been probably like the most revolutionary thing I've ever done in my life. Cause it's, it helps so many people that are going through the same stuff I was going through and it just feels amazing to do that. But yes, I, I just feel like sometimes we need the reassurance of like, Hey, 
you're not crazy. Like you're good. Like I understand you don't want to be, it's fine. You can stay here. No problem. That's all I needed at the time. But I don't think anybody understood that. My friends would always try to get me to come out and hang out. And I'm just like, well, who's going to be there? Uh, well, have they been sick lately? Um, like what kind of food are they going to food there? Do they have like, you know, crackers and stuff there? It, it was like, they're like, why do you give a shit about that? Like, why are you asking these, these questions? And so I just, I just needed somebody to understand. Um, on that note though, with your husband, um, what was it like when you first met him and what was it like, um, as you got your emetophobia and trying to explain it to people, like, how did you explain it to everybody? Um, I didn't, I mean, when people said the biggest question would come up is why aren't you drinking, you know, mm. and I just say, I don't drink and I leave it at that. And people don't usually, I mean, some people say, is it a religious thing? <laughs> They'll say, are you Muslim? Is it religious? And I say, no. Um, but I'm scared of, you know, I really don't want to feel sick the next day or something. And it wasn't, um, that didn't seem to be a big deal. I will say that I pretty much suffered in silence for the first 18 years of my life. Like nobody knew I had this thing. Um, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my parents I was scared of vomit. I think at some point I did, because I have a memory of my father saying, oh, when I vomit, I feel better. Vomit is great, you know, yeah. and that's PS, total lie. <laughs> if you have to throw, if you have to vomit multiple times, you don't feel better, you know, immediately. But, um, so I must have said something to them, but I pretty much didn't discuss it um, until I met my husband. He was like a guy who, like most guys, like to go out to bars to drink, um, and we I, we didn't do that, or I didn't do that with him. He would go with his friends, and I would stay home, and it didn't seem to, I guess I had enough going for me that he didn't seem to mind. It wasn't like um, awful for him to be with someone who was like me. Um, I think the only time it got in the way of our relationship was he wanted to be a young father and start having kids really early. And it took me a long time emotionally to get to that point um, where I'd be comfortable with having kids. So that was the only time when it really got in our way. I will say, and it's something that I address in the book, um, there's, a, there's a concept in exposure therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy called family accommodation. And it's when your family members, and my husband did this, um, would help you in your avoidant behaviors. So for instance, we'd go to a movie and um, let's say we're watching Bridesmaids, hilarious movie, really great movie, but there's a vomit scene and it's uh, Yep, I've seen it, yeah. So, yeah, so, um, and I had to watch it as part of my therapy, but when I went to the theaters to see it with my husband, I would close my eyes and ears and he would just sort of like tell me when it was over and then I'd open my eyes and watch again. Um, so that's called family accommodation because he's accommodating my fear, right? Mm. So it's not, a, it's, it's a bad thing. Um, because he's in every time you tell yourself every time you do some kind of avoidant behavior you're you're reinforcing in your brain that this is something to avoid that this is something scary so it's making your phobia worse every time you do something avoidant um, so he was helping me make my phobia worse he didn't know it of course and he just most family members spouses partners siblings parents they just don't want to see their loved one in distress so they'll help the person avoid the thing you know, so for instance, my husband would, or if he was, if he went out drinking, he would um, go somewhere else for that night and be sick somewhere mm -hmm. else or, you know, so I would never be exposed to it. So he was always protecting me from it, um, which again, only reinforced the fear. So through exposure therapy, it's, you, you know, I almost had to work with him and remind him, don't try to protect me. You know, if we're watching something, don't, don't, don't cover my eyes for me or say, are you okay? Like, this is normal that I'm supposed to watch someone vomiting and not have a reaction to it. So, um, it was never a problem in our relationship again, until he wanted to have kids, but he almost reinforced the problem unknowingly. And I didn't know it either by helping me avoid 
the vomit. So when I hear guests on your show or just in general parents who are emetophobic and they say, well, my husband takes the kids when they're sick because I can't mm. handle it. That's an example of family accommodation. It's an example of them, of their partners reinforcing their fear that there is something to be scared of. The better thing to do would be to help the person uh, do the exposure. You know, yeah. they can stand there with them and say like, all right, I'll just be here in case you really need me, but you're going to take the, the sick kid tonight. Um, and I'll be there with you and I'll support you, but you have to just, you have to do this and get over it. Um, yeah. so, so it's almost like if you're going to do this kind of therapy, which again, I totally recommend, you might have to retrain your partner who's so used to helping you avoid vomit. Yeah, no, that's a really, really good advice for sure. And I never really thought about it that way, like at all. And my mom used to do that too with me where it'd be like, um, I grew up in a household where, um, my mom was an alcoholic and she really liked to cook. So that was kind of a weird mixture where she would use either expired foods or would leave food out on the table all night. And that's what my friend actually got sick from. So that was where I ended up associating. And even to this day, she gave us some food recently to bring home from her house and almost all of it was expired. Cause she has this pack rat mentality of like, I need to go to the, um, the pantry, the food pantry and get a bunch of free food. So, cause we're going to run out of food. I, I think she grew up in that kind of era where uh, they were just didn't have a lot of food. So she likes to hold on to that. So um, I just always had that in my head with her. I don't really know where I'm going with this topic, I guess. But um, anyway, <laughs> regardless, with her helping you avoid. So did she help you avoid? Yes, she, 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 oh, my girlfriend does now. That's what I mean is it was like, now she's always checking dates for me, which I thought was a good thing. But now that I, I hear this, it's almost like, yeah, you're right. It is kind of like, she's, she's helping me avoid these situations versus um, helping me to kind of take them on head on. Um, I have uh, another question for you too. If one of your children had to, how many children did you say you had? Just one or two daughters, two daughters. Okay. If one of your children had a, started to develop a metaphobia, what would you do in that situation? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's funny because a lot of times this is the, the converse to your question, but a lot of times I'll look at them and try to be like them because like they mm -hmm. said, they came home and they said, this kid got sick on the bus. And for me, if that happened to me, and it did happen when I was in first grade, and that was very traumatic for me, like they just said it so nonchalantly, and they were eating dinner while they told me this story. And I thought, look yeah. at that. Like, that's how a normal non-emetophobe is. You just talk about someone puking on the bus, and you keep eating your dinner. You know, you haven't lost your appetite. It didn't traumatize you. It was just like, you know, the teacher yelled at me for saying this, the kid threw up on the bus, and it just came out like a normal piece of news. Um, mm -hmm. So oftentimes I look to them because they're not a metaphobe. And I think like, here's my nine-year-old kid totally nonchalantly walking over <laughs> someone's sickness. Like that's, that's something I would have, you know, try to be. Um, but one of them does show a phobic tendency towards um, insects and spiders. And um, I'm trying to gently help them through exposures and, um, I'm trying, it's, it's a fine balance for parents. It's very tricky because you want to be empathic and you want to be supportive. And, um, when I was growing up, like no emotion was acceptable by, you know, anytime I cried, it was like, what are you crying for this time? You know, I just like, yeah. my mother was so annoyed that I had feelings. Um, so I grew up very emotionally unintelligent. I wasn't emotionally aware at all because I grew up like not allowed. I really wasn't allowed to cry or have any kind of distress. Um, mm -hmm. It was like, that was inconvenient for my family. So I try to be the opposite with my kids. If they're feeling sad, I don't dismiss them. I wanna you know, go into it and talk to them about it and support them and try to be empathic. But at the same time, if they're showing some kind of phobia, I don't want to, I wanna like acknowledge where they are. Like, I get it, you're scared of this thing. It's making you feel this way. So I'm acknowledging their feelings. 
And I try to move on to the next step, which is you're going to be okay. This isn't dangerous. They're not scary. Spiders are a particular trigger for her. So I remind her that spiders eat other bugs and they're really great creatures. Um, I really want to watch some more nature documentaries with her on spiders so she can see that they're really amazing and they're not nothing to be scared of. But again, it's a fine line between being supportive, but also encouraging her to face her fears. I do tell them about my process with vomit um, and why sometimes I get a little irritable or anxious around it. So they know about exposures and about exposure therapy, and they know that you have to face your fear. Um, so we're trying to work on it from that perspective. Like, yes, this is scary. And yes, you feel awful right now. And that's totally cool. Also, we're going to, we're going to walk on this sidewalk with all the ants there. We're just going to walk past it and we're going to see that everything's okay. Um, mm. I don't think she's at the point where she needs to have therapy, but I do encourage parents of emetophobic children to get therapy and to do exposure therapy because you don't want the child to grow into an adult like, well, I mean, nothing wrong with you or me, but it's better yeah. if you could nip it in the bud and not miss out on so many years of life and enjoying life because of this fear. Because as you and I both know, the fear can grow and get worse and worse as you get older. Yeah, no, that's really, really good advice for sure. That's the one thing that it's, it's hard for me to explain to people because I'm a man, I don't have any kids, um, but I like to talk to other mothers or people who have kids and kind of help other mothers who have this problem with their kids or who have it themselves, who are dealing with their children and stuff. So it's good to hear about that for sure. Yeah, and um, I so admire any parent of an emetophobe. I love the fact that they're seeking help for it. I wish my parents were sort of in tune and would, do, would have done that. Um, so when I hear a parent saying, I don't know what to do. My daughter's so sick and it's ridiculous and we can't go on long car rides. And I just like want to hug them and say, you're doing such a great job as a mom or as a parent to, you know, to really care about your child, to know your child well enough to know that they're suffering like this and to want to seek help. I think it's such a beautiful thing. And I, I really salute, I, I really admire all the moms who do that. Yeah. As we get towards the end of this episode here, um, is there anything that you would like to say to either my listeners or anybody that you want to talk to and um, just give them some solid advice or anything that we didn't go over in the podcast yet? Um, I mean, there's so much in the book that I talk about, so I don't know if I could have, I don't know if I covered everything, but I do want to say that to your listeners that um, there's nothing wrong with them. And for whatever reason, they are this way and, and we're, we're cool. Emetophobes are cool. And, we oh, yeah. can handle it. and there's definitely a light at the end of the tunnel. It will take work, but most things worth doing are not easy. Um, so it will take a little bit of work, but really not a huge investment. If you think about it, like 20 minutes a day of my homework wasn't a big deal. I do recommend seeing a therapist only because you might have moments like me where you might feel like, oh, this wasn't, this is a terrible day and this isn't working. You need someone to nudge you and say it is working. Um, and you got to do this and you can do it. Also, it helps to have someone else keep you accountable, like with anything, with a diet or exercise regimen. Oftentimes, if you're doing it with a trainer or with a friend, like a workout buddy, you're more likely to stick to it um, mm -hmm. because you don't want to disappoint them. You know, disappointing yourself is fine, but you don't want to disappoint someone else. So if you can get someone else on your team, you know, team recovery, whatever you want to call it, get yeah. someone else to sort of support you and keep you honest and check in with you. Um, that might help in your in your journey. Um, and I just really encourage people to think that, like, I think a lot of phobics might have had suicidal thoughts at one point. I know I have because the panic mm -hmm. that you feel, it just feels like you don't want to, um, it almost feels like you can't escape the panic and you don't want to feel this way ever again. And it's, death is a more welcome um, outcome than what you're feeling in that moment. 
Um, and that makes me so sad to think of other people feeling that way, like I did. Um, so that's why I just recommend like, just sort of find, find the time and the effort and do it and get to the other side because you won't have those thoughts anymore. You know, you won't have, you won't be in states of panic anymore over, over this thing that like can really, it can really affect the way you're living your life. Um, at least it did for me. So I just want to, I hope people can feel hopeful that they can definitely get through this with a little bit of work. They can definitely get past it. Yeah, no, very, very good advice. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Where can people find you at? And if you want to uh, share your website or your book or anything before we go. Sure. Um, I just started an Instagram page. So I am looking for followers at Dara Lovitz Books, D-A-R-A-L-O-V-I-T-Z-B-O-O-K-S, Dara Lovitz Books. So um, that would be great. And I do have a website which lists my other books. The only one that has to do with emetophobia is this most recent one, Gag Reflections. And I do, I know people might be triggered by the title um, or might think like, I don't want to read about someone else's, you know, experiences being exposed to vomit, but I wrote it. Um, I hope when you read it, you find that it's, I wrote it with humor because mm -hmm. humor is the way that I cope with some hard situations. Um, that's another piece of advice I forgot to mention is if you can find the humor in anything, um, once you laugh, you're reducing, I heard, I read somewhere that you can't release cortisol, which is the stress hormone at the same time you're releasing dopamine, which is like the happiness hormone. So if you can, um, fool yourself into laughing, you're going to feel less stressed. Um, and that, and humor has helped me. So I wrote the book with a lot of humor in it. So I hope it's, um, it makes the topic more digestible. Yeah. Good deal. Good deal. Um, yeah, we'll have to have you on with, um, what would you say your therapist's name was? Yes, Dr. Yusko. Yeah, he's great. And I wonder if um, maybe a good format would be for you to gather some questions for him or something and he could yeah, yeah. answer them. But he's, I mean, we've done other podcasts together and he has a lot of really good good advice. Sure. Maybe I'll get the uh, listeners to send me in a bunch of questions and we'll just kind of hound them with as many questions as we can before the, yeah. the hour's up. So cool. All right. Well, it's really been great having you on the podcast. I really appreciate meeting you and all the support and everything. And uh, we'll have you on for a part two for sure. Awesome. Thank you, Casey. Thanks so much for all you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye. I really, really hope that that episode brought you a ton of value, a ton of tips, a ton of uh, information. So um, again, great episode. That was with Dara Lovitz Books. So that's uh, D-A-R-A-L-O-V-I-T-Z Books over on Instagram. You can also find her website at daralovitz.com. And uh, you can check out the YouTube video of this podcast over on YouTube under The Emetophobia Podcast. I'm going to start uploading all of these Zoom calls up to videos on YouTube. So you can find me over at emetophobias.com or you can go to my Instagram at The Emetophobia Podcast. There's an entire link tree of all my links there if you ever want to find anything. And there's also a link tree um, uh, website on my website. So yeah, thank you so much for listening. If you could please go down and give me a review and rate this podcast, that would really help me out a lot. And uh, send me an email at the Emetophobia Podcast if you ever want to talk or you want to come on the podcast or you just have any questions. So thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.